Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Illustration Department podcast. My name is Giuseppe Castellano. In this podcast, I talk to folks in illustration, graphic design, publishing, animation, and other creative fields about their beginnings, their successes, and the bumps and bruises they've experienced along the way. In this episode, my guest is Caldecott-winning illustrator and author Lane Smith. Many illustrators have had strangers ask them to illustrate their picture book. In most cases, it's a request one declines. In Lane's case, it led to multiple best-selling books with John Cheska. Among other topics, Lane talks about how he went from illustrating an album cover for Oingo Boingo to publishing his first picture book. We explain why the term kid-friendly should never be uttered by anyone working in children's publishing. Lane and I talk about working in multiple styles and media, loving Alice and Martin Provinson, and not being the other Lane Smith. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Should we begin on Route 66? Should we begin in Tulsa? Should we talk <laughs> about Dan Bowman? Oh. I mean, should we talk about Art Center? Dan, we... Dan Boffman. Oh, is that how you pronounce his name? Um, yeah, um, but most people pronounce it Bowman or Bowman Bowman. Or Bowman. Bowman. Um, probably Art Center is a good place to start. Well, probably you're right. Even before that, when I was in high school in Corona, California, mm-hmm. I had a great art teacher, Dan Boffman. And, um, Not to be confused I with Dan he, Bowman. He's a totally other guy. Totally other guy. He's the PE teacher across, <laughs> across the quad. Um, yeah, you know, like probably most of your listeners, I was just a doodler and uh, it never occurred to me that doodling can take you places other than, you know, just doodling at home while you think about how you're going to make a living doing something else. Right. And um, when I was in high school, I had this great teacher, Dan Boffman, and he put me on the yearbook staff and got me jobs around town painting Christmas windows on the glass. And he was just a great um, sponsor of my talents, which looking back weren't that great, but I guess he saw something in me. And ah, come on. and uh, so I was in his art class. And then towards the end of my um, senior year, he said, you, uh, you should consider doing this full time as a illustrator. And I wasn't even sure you could do that or what it was, right. but we were about an hour away from Pasadena and he drove me to art center and, uh, got me an appointment with the counselor there. And, uh, I spoke to them, um, and, I thought this is pretty good. And then he also entered some of my drawings in a local art contest and I won that and I got a scholarship to go to um, a museum in Riverside, which was near Corona. Mm -hmm. And it was a life drawing class. So that was great too, because then when it did come time to submit my portfolio to art center, um, I had all these fairly academic looking sketches, nude sketches to go along with my goofy drawings. And so my portfolio looked probably more rounded out than it should have. And I got into art center and, uh, and then that was an eye opener. I'm sure a lot of your other guests have talked about how 
they felt like they were probably pretty good artists and they got to their art school and uh, in my case, you know, I was the worst artist there. Everyone, <laughs> everyone there was amazing. Well, you know, every yeah, but that's generally yeah, every the story. Hot shot is, yeah, I'm sure it just immediately slaps you down, you know, to the lowest peg. Yeah, uh, that but, uh, that happened to me. Um, Shoot, are you kidding? I mean, I was. Yeah. I felt like I was. I'd won awards in high school. I, you know, I was. I was. Uh, I think in our yearbook, I was one of the you know most artistically inclined or whatever the heck that designation was. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, went to RISD and thinking I was some kind of hot shit and immediately fell off that stage. So, it's, yeah. You know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, you know, I went to school in the 80s and um, the late 70s. And fortunately, that's when all the clubs in L.A., the punk rock clubs were um, going full steam. So for two or three years at art center, I was just the guy that drew squirrely little stick figures and everything. But then suddenly I was like the new wave kid, you know, people could label my work as, Oh, he kind of does that punk art. And so that saved me. And I had one great teacher that at art center, Brian Birch, who, you know, I was in a class filled with these hot shot renderers mm -hmm. who could do these amazing airbrush paintings this is how far back it was pre-computers they were working with airbrushes but he pulled up my little you know punky stick figure goofy drawing and said this is what you guys should be doing <laughs> and it just kind of blew my mind that he mm -hmm. i'm sure he was just making an example to shame the other students to loosen up but for me it just it, it just hit me and I finally, you know, at that point, I realized maybe I do have something to offer that's a little different. And from then on, I, I just, I don't know, I just, it was full steam ahead. And I, sure. I got this confidence I never had before and started actually showing my work around L.A. before I had even graduated to album cover um, places and to magazines and to the la weekly newspapers how did you and find... started getting stuff printed well how did you find these folks i mean did you have help figuring out who to call i mean back then it wasn't like follow them on instagram you, know, you had to actually call them or see them yeah it was just um these fortuitous events i remember i was at the whiskey at gogo -Go, and i was seeing the group the dickies Oh. who were sort of the West Coast version of the Ramones, I guess you would, if anyone would try to come up with a label for them. And, um, you know, and then during the break of their set, I was talking to one of the band members. His name was Stan Lee, but he wasn't that Stan Lee. <laughs> Not that and, um, yeah, and I just offered my services. Hey, if you guys ever need an album cover. And he said, yeah, actually we do. <laughs> and so that was, my first gig and then i would meet um you know i met a guy bruce kalberg who said he had a magazine called no mag you know the punk magazine and i offered my services to him so really it was not about the money it was just about getting stuff printed and building up a portfolio sure um yeah. you know i did stuff for L la reader and la weekly i think they had a drop-off policy and yeah. dropped my work off and i think they only paid something like twenty dollars for a illustration in black and white but 
Yeah, you know, not, again, it's not just, much more than that now. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm sure it's not. But um, no, it's uh, yeah, you're right. Now, I'm I'm sure it's all done through submitting your stuff um, online yeah. to these places. But back then, you know, you drop off your portfolio, or, or if you were lucky enough to see an art director, they'd mm-hmm. invite you in and you could chat. Yeah. And I think that was helpful to a guy like me because my stuff wasn't that great, but they had to look me in the eye and turn me down. And I think a lot of them felt sorry for me. You know, they would, it's not like now where they you could just send them stuff and it's easy for them just to click uh, a rejection. Back then they had to tell you to your face, you know, oh, well, we'll keep an eye out for, you know, a job that would be... <laughs> But I would just say, well, don't you have anything? Well, we have this little spot, but you yeah. wouldn't want to do that. I'll do it. I'll do it. <laughs> it's like they're so, throwing this. Uh, they're just like, you know, feeling pity for this Oki. And they're feeling like, yeah, let's throw this Oki a bone here. <laughs> That's exactly it. Uh, How did you hook up with Oingo Boingo of all bands? Of, uh, you know, that was... weird science fam for folks who are like, who's Oingo Boingo? Led I by know, Danny Elfman, by the way. Danny Elfman, who, right. who would have predicted you know he'd go on to be one of the greatest composers working in hollywood that that was just a drop off to um a&m records or i think or maybe they were on irs one of those mm-hmm. um i just dropped my portfolio off and they called me in i got the gig which was a little intimidating because um george and dean an amazing illustrator from back in the day did their previous covers, mm-hmm. most of them. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, she was, I, I loved her work. So, um, I did a cover that I spent probably a full month working on. And then <laughs> they called me in and I, they brought me into a conference room with Danny Elfman and the art director and the designer and he didn't like it. Uh-huh. I don't even remember what what the um, problem was. They were they were threatening to you know go with someone else, and they said unless you could do do kind of what we're talking about in the next couple of days. And I said I can do it. So so the cover they they eventually accepted was one that I did in like a day and a half, an oil painting after I'd spent a month doing this other. Mm-hmm. what I thought was a fabulous cover that mm-hmm. they rejected. Mm-hmm. But um, when I look back on that cover, you know, I really didn't know how to paint. I look at it now, I'm a little embarrassed by it. And and the problem Elfman had with the first cover, I recall, was he said I was mixing <laughs> uh, too many genres because I would have sort of a realistic part of the painting and then um, something that looked like it was out of a, you know, Japanese comic book over mm-hmm. here. And then a little collage area. He says, you can't just mix and match, uh, stuff like that. It's got to be consistent. Um, <laughs> but I'll, I'll bet if he saw it now, he'd probably say, um, Oh yeah, I see what you were doing. That, that was pretty good. <laughs> but, but he was looking for just more of just sure. a, sort of an illustration, but it's, I really didn't have enough time on it. And then the funny thing, and this is how the record company works or worked back then. Uh, I, you know, I never got the artwork back. They said, well, you know, the record company owns your, your mm-hmm. artwork. Mm-hmm. But probably five years later, I was at a party 
in the Hollywood Hills. And uh, I, I, some, we had mutual friends that hey, we're going to this party. And I met this guy's house who was a record producer. I look on his wall and he had my painting hanging up on his wall. <laughs> <laughs> the original, that Oingo Boing. I was like, hey, that's my painting. Which album but, was it? Uh, it was called, um, was it yeah, Good Lat? for Your Soul. Oh, no, okay. good for your soul. All and right, it was, um, yeah. yeah, yeah. And that was also fun too, because I was still in school when that came out. And I remember listening to, I think it was K rock or one of the mm. new wave stations back then. And they mm -hmm. were talking about my artwork on the station. Like, Hey, we just got the new Oingo Boingo. And they were seeing all this stuff in the artwork. And if you look in the background, you could see these shapes like these monsters and i had no idea what they were talking about <laughs> it was all this stuff that i didn't put in the painting i didn't know it was just some <laughs> texture of mine that they were reading they were all read, the yeah. second and third yeah, reads incredible. yeah but it was just thrilling to have someone talk about your work when the day before you were just trying to get your homework in on right. time and so that was, and i was working at disneyland at the same time as a custodial host so I was a janitor at Disneyland. I'm trying to get my homework done at Art Center, and I, I got a couple of pieces out there. That's so incredible. I was uh, a hard worker. Yeah. <laughs> did you um, stay in contact with Dan Boffman? I did for a number of years, and my first children's book I ever did, I dedicated to him. And um, Halloween ABC. And that's good. You. You know your stuff. That was the first book I illustrated, but the first book I wrote and illustrated was actually a wordless book, Flying Jake. Uh, and mm -hmm. uh, it's long out of print. Uh, so I didn't really write it. It was wordless. But I. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, he's still out there. And I occasionally will hear from people who ask about him, who are also students of his and who um, he mentored. Hmm along the way, but he, I think he's, he's, he sort of became reclusive and I, I understand he works with horses and he's, he's worse than me. He's out on a farm in California and doesn't answer his phone. And so, wow. yeah, I would like to see him again. If he hears this, which is highly unlikely, Dan, send me a, a carrier pigeon message or something. <laughs> uh, all right. So then you you end up in New York after that. Yeah. Um, illustrating for magazines it's yeah. same kind of deal i mean you're you're just kind of walking around showing your portfolio to folks this is the 80s now so you know right this was 80 this was 84 and i had been living with my parents i i never left home so i graduated from art center and then i had several months to build up this portfolio then of these little published spot illustrations and a couple of album covers and mm -hmm. from California places. And, um, I came downstairs, was having my fruit loops and told my mom, mom, I'm moving to New York, just like John boy on the Waltons. And I was lucky because one of my huge inspirations was a fellow illustrator from art center named Matt Mahurin. Did you uh, did you know his work? I don't. He was he was a guy who graduated art center uh, the year uh, the semester before me, 
came to New York and got the cover of Time magazine. And then he segued into photography and you open up any issue of Rolling Stone back then and it was his photograph. And then he segued into videos and he, you know, he, he directed videos for everyone you could think of, um, U2 and Metallica and Tracy Chapman and Bette Midler and, mm-hmm. and he was an illustrator, but he was, um, he was living in New York. He says, Lane, you got to come out to New York. And, uh, I, said okay and he said you could sleep on my floor and uh, I've got a mattress and so I came to New York and I think I had about a thousand dollars with me I had no checking account I had no credit I I, you know lived at home my whole life and it was just so um I stayed with Matt and he just showed me everything needed to know now what you want to do is you want to drop off your portfolio and you know, here's a list of magazines and places mm-hmm. and the drop off day is usually Wednesday. You know, what I do, he would say is I have two portfolios because since it's the same drop off day, you could drop off at Esquire and then you could drop off at the New York times, you know, so you mm-hmm. get two out of, for the, so he was just great. And he, I would also watch him work and he would be back then you would do an illustration and you'd call a messenger and they'd, deliver it uptown to the magazine mm-hmm. and he would do a piece for the New York times and he would literally be working on it when the front door buzzer would go off and he'd say, you know, Lane, get the buzzer. And then he'd pull out his blow dryer and he'd be blow drying the paint, trying to get it to dry. <laughs> and he'd throw me an envelope he'd, and he'd say, address this to, you know, Steve Heller and book review. And the messenger would come and then he'd, you know, he would stuff it in the envelope and he'd seal it and mm-hmm. hand it to the guy. You know, I'd say, well, wait, wait, let me look at it. And I'd look at it. Oh, my God, this is gorgeous. You just did this? And he said, well, no, I was working on it all night. But, yeah, I just finished it. And I, oh, you're amazing. And so that was, you know, another great mentor of mine just to see the ambition and the drive of this guy. Right. Some other fellow classmates of mine were there, too, like, Greg Spolenka and Sue Steinberg and Mark Pemberthy, a lot of people I'd gone to school. So I had, um, I had friends there, so I wasn't completely mm-hmm. alone right. for the first time. So I had sort of a family yeah. and, uh, yeah. So, so that's, that's kind of how I did it. And then my very first day there, I dropped off at the New York times and I got a spot illustration, uh, on the op-ed page, the art director at the time was Jarell Krause, mm-hmm. and she gave me a little spot and said it had it was due the next day. So I went home and drew it, and, and I didn't I couldn't afford a messenger, so you know I hopped on the subway and gave it to her, and then she gave me another one for the next day. I think I did three days in a row, and then finally she said, "Oh, let's give someone else a chance. You're done." <laughs> <laughs> You're like, no, 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 I can do a fourth, though. I, I'm, I'm still good. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, at some point, maybe one day, I'll have Stephen Heller on the podcast. And I, one of the questions I want to ask him is, how many pieces arrived on your desk still wet or reeking from fixative? <laughs> fixative, yeah. Crystal clear. Yeah, crystal yeah. clear, that's it. That's it. Yeah, I mean, you had to wear a mask just to not pass out from all the fumes, from all the freshly fixed work that he received so all right so all the while the idea of being a children's book illustrator was there 
you worked at night on the Halloween book, just creating Halloween pieces, not really writing anything, just creating scenes. And it ultimately made its way onto a publisher's desk. Like Macmillan took a chance on you and they just looked at the art and said, yeah, let's put this together as a book and then hired the author (laughs) to write to the work. And that's not, that's not really that normal. No. The other thing that was not normal was just wanting to do children's books back then. I mean, at art center, they didn't even teach children's books. So I had to, in addition to, you know, working at Disneyland, going to art center, then I signed up for a course at Otis Parsons in LA and they had a course taught by Barbara Botner, who's a great uh, children's book writer. Yeah, She was teaching a course. And so I went over there to learn the basics of kids' books. I can't, it must have been on a weekend uh, for me to squeeze it into my schedule. <laughs> but um, I remember sitting in the library at Art Center and looking at children's books and looking at annuals. And that's when I thought, wow, I think this is what I want to do. Mm-hmm. And also when I got, even though I graduated from school and I'm telling you, I was a terrible painter in school. I was doing a lot of pen and ink stuff and just based on that Oingo Boingo cover and a couple of full color painted things that I had done, I, I knew and watching Matt Mahern and all these other really great painters were, Oh, and I also went to school with Thomas Kincaid, the painter uh, of light. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you know, just, too bad. just seeing, yeah. So, so, you know, yeah. TM. So seeing their work, I thought I really have to step up my game. So at night I was taking my portfolio out in the day, but at night I was learning how to paint. So I would do these, um, paintings. So I thought, Oh, I'll, I'll pick a different letter of the alphabet and Mm -hmm. try to render that every couple nights. And I made them all of a Halloween theme. And then when I finally had the completed alphabet, I, yeah, I took that around. It was at sport magazine. There was an art director there, Louise white. And she said, Oh, I have a friend at Macmillan. You should, you could show these two. Um, and the person she sent me to wasn't involved in children's books, but then she sent me to someone else and she sent me to someone else. Right. And eventually my stuff ended up with a great art director there, Cecilia Young. Oh yeah. And she looked at him. Yeah. Have you met her? She, she was, worked she with was, her. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. Yeah. She was the first one to hire me. She saw that work and she took it to an editor there, Beverly Rheingold. And, um, they said, yeah, we think this could be a kid's book. Um, but it needs text. Or would you be averse to us adding text or whatever? I'm like, no. (laughs) Do whatever you want. want. Just hit print on the damn thing. Exactly. (laughs) So, yeah, they brought in Eve Merriam, who by that time had published hundreds of books. And um, and a sidebar, she was married to Waldo Salt, who was a screenwriter who did uh, Coming Home and Midnight Cowboy. Mm. Kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. So she wrote poems for my, um, around my paintings. And then some poems she came up with for her own letter. So then I had to throw out, you know, my original mm. V mm-hmm. and put in, I think I had a vampire and she wrote a poem about a viper, which was 
hundred times better than sure. you know yeah. some. So yeah, so we came out with the my first book was Halloween ABC, and that was also my entree to the way the you know things Murphy's Law because that was a Halloween book, and uh, that year there was a strike at the printer in China, and mm-hmm. so my Halloween book came out in November. <laughs> <laughs> So it's like, hey, you missed Halloween. Oh, oh publishing. That stuff happens <laughs> yeah. all the time. You know, you mentioned Barbara yeah. Botner. Uh-huh. I'm sure you're familiar with Peggy Rathman. Of I Good, love Peggy Rathman. Yeah, Goodnight Gorilla fame. Um, also lives in California. She uh-huh. was having a tough time of things mm. before, you know, getting getting on with her career. I think she was in her late 30s. And the way she described it was that she was basically sleeping on her parents' couch feeling her words prepared to die. And then at mm. the suggestion of uh, this fellow by the name of Barry Salzberg, she took a uh, class, a children's yeah. book class with uh-huh. Barbara Botner. Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, Botner was, you know, obviously, obviously Botner was impressed with her. I think Botner wrote a book or Botner offered to sell Peggy's first book. Well, later, didn't they collaborate on Bootsy Barker Bites or something like that? I think later, much later. I mean, the theme here, it seems like, is it kind of takes one person. You know, Botner believed in her and helped her get her first book published, Ruby the Copycat. And then her career was launched. You know, it's, it's, it's wild how that works. I would say, you know, Goodnight Gorilla is you know if not the top 10 you know one of the greatest kids books ever yeah, created I, I i was just i was just looking at that again the other day and it made me wistful that we don't have more peggy rathman books I know. She, 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 she hasn't done anything in a while and she's one of the greatest i know that's a, another story for another time i think Speaking of stories, okay. yes, Lane. Not to be confused, by the way, with Lane Smith, the actor. I am confused with Lane Smith, the actor, a lot. I used to get his mail in New York. Oh, get out of here! Really? Yeah, there, there was a time when he played Nixon on TV. I can't remember if it was a series or a one-off, but I would get all this hate mail. How dare you! Oh, portray my... Richard Nixon. <laughs> Isn't oh, that funny? My God. One time, a guy called. Um, and my wife answered and he said, Hey, is Lane there? And she thought it was one of my relatives from Oklahoma. Yeah. Cause he's and from Tennessee. Said, or someplace. Uh, yeah. And she said, he's, he's not in here. Well, I know you're probably protecting him. Just tell him it's old red and I haven't <laughs> talked to him in maybe 60 years. And she said, well, my husband's not that old. Well, this is Lane Smith, the actor. Uh, no, this is Lane Smith, the illustrator. Again, I know you're trying to protect him. Just tell him it's old red. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, uh, yeah. Well, um, I, I have to. I have to share something with you before we get to the next question. Um, okay. It is that I. I. You know, he's confusing you with Lane Smith, the actor. I when I first learned of you in the '90s mm. in art school. Um. Mm. I thought you were a woman. Oh, a lot of people do. Yeah. Because yeah. I, I even texted a friend of mine today and said, hey, I 
I'm going to interview Lane Smith. This person wrote, I love her books. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it could be because I've never used an author photo and I'm not on any social media. And then when I started doing books with John Sheska, we would go out together and people always assumed we were a couple. <laughs> well, you are in, <laughs> a, in a way. Fine. Yeah, you are in a way. <laughs> we are in a way. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's, that, that, well, that's my next question. So I, I, I have, um, I talk to illustrators all day long and a mentee of mine was approached by an author to create three finished illustrations for free so that the author could then include them in her pitch to a publisher there are a lot of red flags in what I just said. One, right. you're working for free. Two, yeah. chances are slim that the publisher would say, hey, we'd like to acquire your book. And sure, we'll go ahead and use the illustrator you used. That, But, I mean, that doesn't happen. But yeah. that's more or less how it happened with you and John Cheska with the true story of the Three Little Pigs. First off, kudos for pronouncing Sheska correctly. Uh, I, I'm thank you. I usually pronounce, mispronounce names. That's that's my thing. So <laughs> good on me. On yeah, we, yeah, yeah. And it was rejected. I mean, I, I doing research for this. I, it was rejected a lot. Yeah. John Cheska said that one common word used in the rejections was sophisticated, as in. It's yeah. too sophisticated. Yeah. That bothers Crazy. me. Yes. Well, it's not a concern any longer because if you, you know, I'm sure as you know, we're living in this amazing golden age now of children's books. And, you know, every kid's book out there now is sophisticated and right. and beautifully done and with access to a hundred years of children's book art that they could bring up on Pinterest or whatever and, and reference. And, you know, it's just so smart and, and, and so good. But when John and I were starting out in, uh, Oh my gosh, the late Mm eighties. Yeah. It was, it was an uphill climb and John was teaching third grade in Manhattan at a place called the day school. Mm-hmm. I was, I did a couple of those early kids books, Halloween ABC. Mm-hmm. And, um, I was, um, working, you know, still doing a lot of editorial work, but our wives worked together where Molly, my, uh, they were at sport magazine. And then later Molly went on to work at Sports Illustrated and um, mm-hmm. Business Week. But okay. at the time, she was with John's wife, Jerry. And Jerry, I think just during casual conversation, you know, she said, you know, my husband uh, wants to get into kids' books too, but he, he just can't get a toehold in. So Molly came home and said, uh, you know, you should – read John's stuff, Jerry's mm-hmm. husband. I'm like, I don't want to yep. read his stuff. My exactly. dentist just had me reading his stuff last yep. week. <laughs> I mean, who ha- if you're an you illustrator, know. if you say to anybody as an illustrator, I'm an illustrator. I mean, one of the first yeah. questions you get back is, can you illustrate my book? Yeah. 
it would be the same as uh, living in Hollywood and, you know, your cab driver says, I wrote a screenplay. (laughs) So, yeah. So I, you know, sunk in my drawing chair. Oh God, now I got to read this guy's stuff. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But uh, I read, yeah, I read the true story of the three little pigs. Thought it was great. I read, various stories which would later become the stinky cheese man thought those were great mm-hmm. he had a couple of other stories that he was working with an illustrator on that weren't quite working out which you know he never published but anyway and then we met and we all went out and i just love the guy you know he was he's just happy go lucky uh john shuska you know he's so I said, leave it to me, kid. I've got a couple of books out. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll make what they call a book dummy, and I'll take it around. And uh, so how many people have rejected you? And he said, oh, everybody. You know, I, I said, don't worry. Have you seen anyone in person? No, I've just been sending it through the mail. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. That's your first mistake. I'll meet him in person. We'll get this published. So then I took it around um, with a book dummy, including mm-hmm. one or two finished oil paintings. This was for the true story of the Three Little Pigs, which yep. was at that time was called The Tale of a Wolf or A Tale of a Wolf. Mm-hmm. And everybody hated it. <laughs> <laughs> and I couldn't get it published either. Um, <laughs> they would. Uh. They said, oh, oh, my God, this story is. Yeah, it's too it's too much of a parody. It's not just a funny story. It's it's satire. And then your work it's so dark. This is not good for kids' books. It maybe it works in a Halloween alphabet book, but not for a fairy tale. So it was tough going until I finally went to Viking mm-hmm. and I saw an editor there, Regina Hayes and Yeah. And I never she was, you know Yeah, okay, yeah. She was she's world famous worked sure. with james marshall and yep. bemelman's and yep. so she was behind her desk and she said well let me read this and i said okay well i could come back next no i'll read it right now what in front of me <laughs> and she said yeah yeah just just sit right there let me read it so she's reading uh-huh. it and turning uh-huh. the pages silently you know and then she gets about page four or five and she's like ha, 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 ha. <laughs> And I'm thinking, wait, is she laughing? This is crazy. Mm -hmm. You know, and then she turned another page. She's like, and then she just closed the book and looked at my paintings. Oh yeah. Yeah. These are, these are pretty good. And, and then she said, yeah, I, I think we could probably do this. And I, you know, I just about fell out of my chair and then I, I, you know, this was before cell phones. I ran down to the lobby. I got on a pay phone and I called Sheska and I said, I think I just sold our book. So John, unlike me, I'm reclusive and shy and it's hard to talk to people. John is just this wonderful, gregarious guy. Everyone who meets him, you know, just wants to be his pal. And, you know, he called her the next day and, hey, is Regina Hayes there? John Sheska just wanted to follow up on that. Oh, she's in a meeting and she's in a meeting. And I think it was about three and a half weeks before he can finally get through to anyone there. And he was starting to question me like, are you sure she said you had published this? I said, I thought she, I think so. I don't know. And uh, yeah, sure enough, we 
finally one day he got her and she said, yeah, why don't you boys come in and we'll discuss this. And, and we came in and neither of us had an agent or anything. And we were just thrilled mm-hmm. that she wanted to publish it. And she said, yeah, we'll publish this. And she did. This episode is sponsored by Skillshare. Skillshare is offering listeners of the Illustration Department podcast a free trial of premium membership. If you're going to take just one online class, take one with the ID. If you're going to take two online classes, take one with Skillshare. They offer fascinating classes on topics including productivity, freelancing and entrepreneurship, creative writing, and much more. Members of the ID know that I do not like the word perfect. It is a word that does not serve us as artists. Let's agree to replace perfect with progress. So practice makes progress. Whatever goal you have in mind, advancing toward it is achievable with short lessons, hands-on projects, and classes you can fit within your schedule. Explore your creativity at Skillshare.com ID, where you will get a free trial of premium membership. That's one month free at Skillshare.com ID. Now back to my conversation with Lane Smith. And, you know, obviously that did, I mean, it didn't do, they didn't say like, oh, we're going to print 100,000 copies. You guys are going to be stars. I mean, they printed a a small print run and it sold out and then they printed a larger print run and that also sold out. So, you know, and then that's exactly fast forward 30 plus years and you've been, you've illustrated, I can't even, I I was trying to count it and I I, I kept losing count because I was like, oh, I think I got it. And then there's another book. Oh, I have to add that one. So. Does just say dozens and dozens of beloved, award-winning, fa- fabulous books. Oh, it's true. Yeah. Um. Here's the. <laughs> so I'm just I'm just saying that just so we don't. Because like if we talk, I do want to talk about every single book, but if we do, we'll be here till you know next year. <laughs> um, and uh, I want to get to this point, and that is kid friendly. So you're saying it's you're saying that rejections, you know, these are too sophisticated, too dark, and that to me sounds like this isn't kid friendly enough. And um, yeah, that's one of the terms. Kid friendly is one of those terms. I think it's one of the worst things you can say when working <laughs> on a picture book. What does yeah. it even mean? I mean, really? You yeah. know, like I took my kids to the 9/11 memorial. Is that kid friendly? Right. We took them to the yeah. Met a lot. Yeah. Is is the impressionist wing kid friendly? I mean, kids are complex, curious, and continually fascinated people. Well, that is an excellent point. And um, I think I say on my fax page or somewhere on, on my website, uh-huh. people will often write me and say, and you get this a lot too, you know, when you do book signings, hmm, what's the age limit on this? And would this be appropriate for my kid, do you think? And I say, I don't know your kid. Uh, You know, all kids are not alike. And I remember when I did um, It's a Book, and I had some teachers wagging their fingers at me saying, this is inappropriate for my classroom. And I said, I didn't make it for your classroom. (laughs) I just made it because I liked it, and I hope it will appeal to kids like I was when I was a kid. And then those are the people who found it. I, I don't get that whole thing of that. Every book you do should be kid friendly and for every kid in America. I mean, I grew up reading, you know, Edward Gorey books and probably 
half of the class, two thirds of the class would find that stuff too odd and weird. Mm -hmm. But for the weird kids in the class, it was gravy, you know, it was golden. Mm -hmm. So yeah, yeah, that's, that's, it's, there's uh, probably even more so now, um, with good reads and Twitter and all that. Uh, and probably that kid friendly term gets bandied about a lot more than it ever has. And I just, I just don't get it. When I first started collecting children's books, all my favorite books were things that I found in the budget bin and they were usually European imports. And I'd say, Oh my God, 99 cents. This book is great. You know, and it'd be by someone like Yosef Vilkan, kid friendly. Yeah. Bah. I mean, like is Tommy Ungerer's work kid friendly? Yeah, exactly. No. Yeah. It's friendly. It's for this kid. Uh, that stuff was great. And, um, a lot of Maury Sendak stuff. I mean, my favorite illustrators are the Provinsons, Allison Martin Provinson. Mm-hmm. I guess you could say that it's kid friendly in that the colors are bright and whatnot, but that stuff is so textural and so um, rough and coarse in the surfaces they acquire. That's what I loved about it, but I'm sure you would show it to some people and they'd say, it's kind of messy. Yeah. <laughs> or Ralph, Sted- Ralph Steadman did kids books. Oh you know? yeah. Oh yeah. They're like, are, you mm-hmm. know, they'd look at a Ralph Steadman and, and probably say something like, is this a sketch? When will the final come in? Cause this, the lines are yeah. really scribbly. <laughs> well, oh, wait, I, let me tell you a quick, quick sidebar. Please. When I lived, when I lived in New York years ago, I, my, Apart, my mine and Molly's apartment was right above Books of Wonder. Oh wow! And, yeah, I had um, um, I had uh, Peter Glassman on the podcast. A year oh ago yeah, he was he was ago. one of our first first supporters. Um, but I remember coming home from dinner late one night, and Molly and I, and it was like something out of Night of the Living Dead. We saw all these people slowly walking with open books just walking on the street and they weren't reading them. They just had open books. Just like and hordes of them. To... Some of them getting hit by cars. Other ones, you know, just fa- yes. falling through manholes and stuff. Right. We passed one. And I thought that was weird. And then, you know, a couple steps later, we'd pass someone else in two or three and they all had these open books. Finally, we get home. We're ready to go upstairs. And I peek in the books of wonder and Ralph Steadman's in there. And he's signing books for people, but in wet ink and just splattering it all over the place. <laughs> and so people have these, you know, these beautifully signed Stedman books, but the, the ink, you know, would take five minutes to dry. So they were walking out of the store with their, their pages open. Incredible. It was, it was, yeah, it was like something out of a Boonwell movie. Like, ooh, <laughs> these zombies. Um, about the Provinces and style. Yeah. Um, before we get to style... I, I I had, I mean, you know, Alison Martin Provinson are, are definitely favorites of mine. I mean, who are they not favorites of, you know? Um, but there's this really, I don't know if a lot of folks know this. Maybe they do. I don't know. But it's a, it's a fun historical snippet. Every time I go to the supermarket, I think of, and I go through the, down the cereal aisle, because I have three children and they eat cereal like they breathe. Um, <laughs> Martin Provinson designed Tony the Tiger. Well, the original Tony. The yeah. Tiger, you know, and, yep. and the way the story goes. So there's this other, so there's another artist, Eugene Kolke, and there's this art director at uh, Leo Burnett. 
the art director's mm. name is Edward Kern. So anyway, they mm. team up and they design a tiger named Tony for Kellogg's. Oh. They hire Martin to essentially finish off the, the overall design. And Martin's Tony beats these other ideas for a mascot for Kellogg's. And the other mascots are, and I'm not making any of this up, Katie the kangaroo, Elmo the elephant, <laughs> and Newt the new. And, and then, <laughs> I like that. <laughs> and in later years, Tony the tiger was given a son, Tony Jr. Huh. And oddly, and this is something that I particularly uh, like as an Italian-American, and an Italian-American mother. So Tony the Tiger has some <laughs> Italian in him. Um, anyways, and uh, and then he also has a wife, Mrs. Tony. That's her name, Mrs. Tony. You're kidding. Nope. And they have a daughter named Antoinette. So someone, who created this whole backstory? Uh, I guess the folks over at... Uh, Leo Burnett, the advertising agency, I guess, or Kellogg's, but or did some they, combination of um, the two. Did they appear on the boxes ever? This this extended family. I don't know. I, I didn't look it up. I should have because I don't remember any of this. I just remember Tony the Tiger. No. Yeah. Anyways. Wow, that is amazing. Yeah. I um I knew that he drew him, but I I didn't know the whole story. And 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 the trivia question. Who did the voice of Tony the Tiger? Oh, is that Mel? It's not Mel Blanc or any, who is it? No, it was Thurl Ravenscroft, who also did the singing voice of the Grinch. Boris Karloff did the speaking voice. This is great nerd trivia. And he also did a lot of the voices in the Haunted Mansion and the Pirates of the Caribbean. And well, let, <laughs> Thurl right, Ravenscroft. Well, let's take that further. So you just mentioned the well, Grinch. You did... Yeah some concept designs for the, for, uh, uh, Oh God, his name is going to jump right out of my head. Ron, Ron Howard. Thank you. Ron Howard's how the Grinch stole, stole Christmas. How did that, how did you get that gig? Oh, cause like you're, you were pretty deep in children's books by this point. Right. And I was, were, I had, I can't, I think I, yeah, I, it was published by then. I did a posthumous, Dr. Seuss book, Hooray for Diffin Doofer Day. Uh, it was the last book he was working on when he died. He had about half of it finished. So um, Jack Prolutsky wrote the text, finished the text, and I did the illustrations, and my wife designed it, Molly Leach, mm-hmm. and we were able to include all of Seuss's original drawings that he had planned for the book, blah, blah, blah. Right. So that book came out. And then by then I did have, have an agent. The agent at that time was a guy named Michael Siegel, who was actually more of a Hollywood agent. And he represents people like Bill Joyce, um, mm-hmm. more like people who transition into movie stuff. Sure. And um, he, I don't know, that came across his desk that they were looking for a conceptual designer for the Grinch movie. I was working on another movie at the time and I didn't, um, I, I just didn't have time for it. And I didn't quite think it was a good idea to do a live action version of the Grinch too. But he said, well, Ron Howard would like to meet you and take you to lunch. So, uh, I met him up at the Brill building in Midtown where he was mixing a movie, Ed TV. Mm-hmm. And um, he said, hey, you know, let's go to lunch. 
And so we go to lunch and we go to this cheap little diner across the street. And I, I love the guy the minute I sat down with him because he ordered a Salisbury steak <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and we immediately bonded because we were both Okies um, and my dad was having heart problems and his mom was having heart problems and they were both in Oklahoma. And, and I remember his dad, Rance Howard from old episodes of Gunsmoke and, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and Clint, Clint Howard from gentle Ben. I got my gentle Ben, big little book right here behind me. And, um, so yeah, I said, I don't, I said, I'm good at doing characters and things. I'm not sure I would be good to work on this film to design sets and all that. I don't know anything about it. And I, and he said, well, we want to have a Grinch mobile. Could you design a Grinch mobile? No, I no, that's that's not what I do. And so I did, I think I did about 10 illustrations. They weren't very good. My heart just wasn't in it, but I love Dr. Seuss and I love the Grinch. I love the Chuck Jones version of the Grinch, but I sort of, asked if I could be excused from the picture after, after a while. And, yeah. and I don't even know if I got a credit in that. I was just going to ask um, you, were you credited? Oh, I, we'll look. Per, we'll... Per, yeah. It's probably buried in there. And, um, mm-hmm. but I was at the time, John and I were trying to do a stinky cheese man movie and we were at Paramount working on that. And so I, I just didn't have the time to, for it and was that the other movie that you were working on yeah yeah so that was what we were at paramount nickelodeon for a couple years then we were at universal and and now um netflix uh has the rights to stinky and three pigs but we're not in you know we're just sort of executive producers but we're not we're not getting rolling up our sleeves and Mm. because Mm. that just i'm i'm too old now you know so i hear you um, we mentioned your wife and partner, Molly, Molly Leach. Um, mm-hmm. She's designed almost every book you've created. You said she makes everything you do 100 times better. But <laughs> since most people yeah. don't know what a designer does, you're the one who unfairly usually gets all the credit. The, the picture book designer, that's a unique profession in that, in that respect. In most cases, a picture book designer is also an art director. So like the person who makes suggestions on your composition and pacing and details and, and that. A good art director helps illustrators tap into their best artistic selves. That's like the, that's like the found, that's as boiled down as I can sort of describe what an art director does, being a former art director. Um, I used to speak to at a lot of conferences. And Ooh. In describing what an art director does, I would ask the audience to raise their hands as high as possible, and they would all raise their hands. And then I'd say, okay, well, now raise that hand that's in the air one inch higher, and then they would all raise their hand one inch higher. And then I would say, that's what an art director does with an illustrator. Like That's what a good art director can do for an illustrator. So it's interesting that designers and art directors, even ones that were uh, that have been described literally described as quote groundbreaking as your wife with her designs don't seem to receive fair credit for the role in the illustrations success. Yeah. It's, it's such a strange thing during Caldecott award speeches or starred reviews 
or social media. It's like the illustrations are great. Look how wonderful the cover is. The interiors are awesome. Good job, Lane Smith. Yep. Isn't that a shame? It's, um, you know, taking that one step further, speaking of reviews and things, a lot of times I'll read reviews of a wonderful book and 90% of it will be about the text and what a wonderful story. And then the last line or two, ably complimented by whimsical illustrations of Henrik Drescher or something, you know, and it's yeah. like, well, wait, that's the reason I bought it was it's a picture book. I bought it for the pictures yep. and less so for the art director. You're exactly right. I, you, there've been a few teams like that, um, Etienne Delacere and Rita Marshall and, you know, you, but very few, we were lucky because when we started, um, I wanted our books to look unlike most other kids' books or right. just not a cookie-cutter design. And mm-hmm. and at that time, I they were sort of – it was much easier. They were just grateful. Oh, yeah, Molly can do it as a freelancer. Mm-hmm. Now it's a little more difficult because the – publishers are so big and they, you know, they have so many people in house and they have designers and art directors and all those people who get paid to do that. And, right. um, so it's a little, it's a little more touchy and you don't want to step on toes, but I'm, I couldn't do any of these books without Molly because it truly is, we work in tandem. It's a, um, throughout the whole process through the book dummy process, I'll, mm-hmm adapt my art to 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 work with some sort of type treatment she wants to do yeah or i'll finish a dummy and she'll say you know you've got all this type floating and then suddenly you've got this single page illustration with type on the left side and let's and oh yeah duh you know so um but yeah no one but you know when you said you had people in the audience raise their hands it's the exact reverse even with my own family, I would go home and they would say, now, Molly, you work with Lane on these books. Do you write them? No, I, I design them. I do the text. I mean, anytime you see a word and, mm-hmm. you know, I've done that or the flaps and the end papers mm-hmm. and the, oh, okay. So you do the illustrations with him. No, no, I, yeah. I do the, the words. Well, but you said you weren't the writer. No, I, oh my God. Yeah, it's like, oh, you know, I I, I, th- I think about, you know, what we need to do with the gutter. So you work outside? No, no, no. And then, and, and, uh, exactly. Concerned with the spine of the book? Are you a doctor? Yeah. Yeah. I No, I, you know, Lane painted an illustration of a field. So you do field work. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I was trying to add one more to you. That yeah. Always. Yeah. Good. You always have to do those kinds of things in threes. Yeah, <clears throat> no, exactly. I, I I had that same. I mean, my my own parents. I mean, I was an art director for twenty years, and my dad. Mm-hmm. I one time was like, you know, my customers are always asking me what you do, and I I I don't know. And he was saying it as, yeah. a, as a way of like it was my fault that I didn't explain it to him correctly. It's like I don't know. Right. I don't know what you do. What do you? What is it you do? You do? I'm like I'm an art director. So you write and draw the write the pictures. No, you draw the pictures. No. <laughs> What do you do? I hire illustrators to make art for words that are written by somebody else. And he was like, oh, all right. Um, okay. <laughs> I'm like, just tell him I make books. And he's like, okay, that's, yeah. okay, that's easy. Tell um, him I'm like the great and powerful Oz. 
behind the curtain. Behind the curtain. That yeah. no one, no one, or I'm the puppet master. <laughs> Pull the strings. Yeah. But it's no, not like, it's you know, true. we don't that's... need to, you know, and the Caldecott goes to, you know, so-and-so and their art director. Maybe like, that might be a little too far. But um, I don't know. It's, it's you know, if you look at any Kirkus review or PW review, it's it's what you just said. It's text, text, text. Yeah. The text is great. Look at the text, 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 text. Last sentence with, you know, yeah. able illustrations or with, you know, pass passable illustrations by Murray Sendak or something. You know what I mean? It's like, what? It's a picture I book. Think it's, why is the industry, yeah. why is the industry not, it's just, it's, it's, um, it's interesting that the illustrations, the pictures aren't on equal footing with the writing. Or the design. I, yeah, I think that speaks more to the fact that, you know, 99% of the folks who write books and review, um, write books about books and review books are, you know, come from a, a, a writer background, yep. an academic background. And they're not, yeah, they're not necessarily visual. Usually, too, we get the designer and the illustrator uh, a lot of times we'll get short shrift. Well, they'll try to describe it by comparing it to s- someone else. You know, um, mm-hmm. Lane Smith's new book features a turtle uh, in a John Clausen style. Uh, it's like, oh, I love John Clausen, but wait. I, right. I, I, Speaking of John Clausen, his work is wonderful. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and or I used to get early on, you know, when my weird illustrations would come out. They would say things Picasso-esque or um, <laughs> I remember once Dillis Evans did a book on, um, on children's book creators. And mm-hmm. she said, Oh, you must've liked Keith Haring a lot. I see a lot of Keith Haring anywhere. And I said, no, I actually don't like Keith Haring at all. No offense. And then, you know, when the book came out, I was like Lane Smith, Keith Haring, like illustration. <laughs> <laughs> Like man, you you ran this by me, and I said I don't like this. Do you do you but, read uh, your reviews? Yes, I do, and I wish I. Do you always could regret lie. it? And, um, well, probably like most people, if I'm on Amazon or something, mm-hmm. and there's 50 reviews and there're five star reviews, and then there's one one star review. That's the one I read, and it's just a glutton for punishment. And I try not to, you know, but you just can't help it. It's just human nature. Right. But I, I do, I'm always thrilled when I get an uh, insightful review, even if they don't like the book. And it's, it's rare, but sometimes someone will just, um, you know, point out something I wasn't even aware of mm-hmm. or, or, you know. So, yeah, I, I, I'm a nerd who grew up reading the liner notes on album covers and uh, I, I read acknowledgement pages in books. And so I do read my own reviews just because that's the way I am. But um, yeah, I regret it because, (laughs) or if someone loves your book and they give you a rave review, but I think they don't know what, what are they talking about? (laughs) You know, I love her illustrations. Yeah. Uh, yeah, exactly. Um, and and his and her work in Lois and Clark. <laughs> my right. cousin Vinny. What a right, he was. A, he just yeah. She was just a great lawyer, and my cousin Vinny. <clears throat> yeah. Um, 
I mentioned style earlier, and then we got all excited about Tony the Tiger, and I, it completely fell out of my head. <laughs> uh, we're not. I'm not breaking any new ground here. You've been asked about the fact that you work in multiple media, multiple styles. You use everything. You literally use everything. Your finger, bubblegum wrappers, newspaper clippings, oil paint, everything. Um, yeah. So I'm not really <laughs> asking anything anyone else hasn't asked. But I will. I want to point this out because working in multiple styles, working in multiple media, this is a very common topic of conversation these days. You know, there's there are other there are two camps: either work in one medium, work in one style, or you'll confuse art directors. Or the camp that I'm in, to hell with that. You're an artist. Do whatever the heck you want. Just keep it organized. Right. Just look at your work for a quick example. Really quick example. The the ho- the hockey family the happy is the happy hockey, yeah family right, uh, Grandpa yep. Green which is one of my favorite books, definitely oh, in my top you. three. I don't know what the other two are, but certainly in my top three favorite children's books. Period, is Grandpa Green. Yeah. Uh, and uh, let's go with Sticky Chains Van or something you know early like in the nineties. Like um, let's go with the true story of the three little pigs. Just those yeah. three. Just those three are completely different in approach. <laughs> yeah. Like, are they so different that you don't you don't look you look at one and go like, that was Lane Smith? Maybe not. <laughs> but other than that, man, they are completely different. And I'm just <laughs> pointing this out. I don't even really have a question to be honest with you. I just wanted to point this out and and hear your thoughts on this because it's frustrating. It frustrates me to no end to hear illustrators say to me. Oh, well, you know, I, I did a portfolio review with such and such art director or I was at a conference, such and such conference and um, heard that, uh, no, I, I shouldn't work in multiple styles. I shouldn't work in multiple media. I should go digital. So what do you think? Well, for me, the most fun aspect of creating illustration is in the experimentation. So I'll read the text or if it's something I've written, I immediately start to think of what would be the best way to represent and to showcase the text. And usually that comes from, comes through in the textures and the experimentation. If it's a naive text, I might start doing something in colored pencils or mm-hmm. if it demands a more rendered approach like Grandpa Green with little leaves and all that, I might try different oil techniques where you can get sort of leaf patterns. And, and so, you know, I think that's what excites me about a book. And yeah, it, it's almost like I'm um, a character actor, you know, who's doing these different roles. Mm -hmm. But you know, when I look at my stuff, maybe I'm fooling myself, but yeah, I kind of think, Oh, this all looks like my stuff, but I could see other people saying, well, no, it doesn't. That's like this, stinky cheese man his head's made of cheese and you got this like story over here brought tears to my eyes about death what the hell but um you know the difference i think is when i was at art school there were certain people that they call them dialist style but those people had many different styles but there are other people's styles you know you'd get someone and it's like oh i can draw like r.o blackman and i could (laughs) you know, paint like Bernie Fuchs and I could, uh, you know, do Mm -hmm. something that, but 
I think in my case, they're all different interpretations of a story, but um, they're all still my style, you know, and right. they're, they're, there's a lot of variety in there and a lot of, and I think that goes back to me looking up to the Provinsons too. They could do, you know, like their um, myths and have more geometric shapes. Yeah. And then mm-hmm. they could do something sort color, of like color kittens. And, yeah, yeah, exactly. Like mid-century look. Yep. And then, you know, they'll do something like Aesop's Fables and it's um, more like loose drawn with sponge patterns or mm-hmm. however they're creating that stuff in egg tempera. And so I hope my stuff's more like that. I have a book coming out um, in the spring next year. And it's the best thing I've ever done, you know, and it's, it's for me, it's just kind of thrilling to still feel like I'm learning every day and every book I discover something new and sometimes they don't quite work out and you, you're too far into it or, or Mm -hmm. you look at it a year afterwards and you look at things, that book's kind of ugly, but it's thrilling for me to try a whole different technique or, um, you know, use a different kind of paint and then have it turn out. And it's kind of like, that's what I wish I could have been doing 30 years ago. And, um, so it's, so, I think it just keeps it, um, exciting right. selfishly for myself to always be playing around. I don't think I could, I mean, my, one of my heroes was Charles Schultz, but I don't think I could have been drawing Charlie Brown for 50 years, you know, sure. every day, the same, I would draw him, but maybe I would, you know, scratch some yeah yeah right you have won several lifetime achievement awards a handful of call the cut honors a whole slew of other awards and accolades and all that kind of thing and i i talk to a lot of illustrators who are trying to figure things out for themselves and for their work and for their careers you said that in your 50s you felt like you were just getting started in children's books do you still feel that way? Yeah. Yes. Really? Yeah. I feel like I wish I could live to be a hundred because I feel like I'm getting better with every book. Sometimes I'll do one and it's, it's <laughs> two steps back. A little stinker. But, yeah. 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 <laughs> and it's, uh, usually that's due to some pressure, like a uh, deadline pressure and like, ah, and it's like, oh, I wasn't ready. But uh, very rarely, usually the books, even books that completely um, tank sales-wise are still um, some of my favorite books. But um, I feel like um, I'm kind of on a roll now. I feel like the uh, I did a book this year. You probably haven't seen it yet, but it's Cat Problems. And I feel like that's some of my best illustrations ever. And then the book I have coming out next spring, a gift for Nana. um, That's the best book I've ever done in the writing and the story. I feel like my writing is slowly getting where I wanted it to be, but I just, I couldn't probably couldn't have done that 30 years ago. Most Mm -hmm. kids books, if you look at them, they're, they're more like novelty books. They're, they're jokey. And then they have a punchline and, you know, probably most of mine are like that too, but I'm just now comfortable enough now that I'm 62. I don't know what it is, but I'm just settling down and I'm writing and I'm not ashamed to make something 
more sentimental and, um, mm-hmm. you know, heartfelt. And, and I've been reading a lot of, you know, I'll, I'll read William Steig and Kate D. Camillo and all these great people who mix in heart and supernatural elements and all that and make it work. And well, how did that, how did they do that? You know, and right. it's, yeah. it's kind of making sense to me now, but I've always been a late bloomer. I mean, some people are just, um, you know, right out of the box that everything you do is great. And, mm-hmm. and I'm just a slow learner, <laughs> a late bloomer. So yeah, okay. I thought in my fifties, I was still learning. And now I'm in my sixties and I feel like I'm, I'm still learning. Still learning. But people like William Steig give me hope because he didn't do his first book until I think he was 61 or 62, yeah. uh, his first kid's book. So yeah. I think I got time. Grandma Moses, when did she start painting? She was already a grandma, you know. She was okay. There you go. Okay. Good. And she, and she painted problem. until she was, uh, I mean, up until her passing, which was 101. See, you could go on Jeopardy. And if they would just <laughs> only, ask illustration. Only illustration and- history. Yep. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the category is Tony the Tiger. Oh. Oh, well, let yeah, me hold on a second, Merlicker Sleeves. <laughs> Did you know? Um, you know who else started late? One of your favorites, huh. Leo Leone. Ah, uh, he was working in. I love uh, advertising, and then he said, "I'm out. I'm going to go work in uh, children's books." And I think he his first book was he was fifty. Wow, I love it. His Swimmy, my favorite book. Yep, uh, children's book. Well, yeah. probably a tie with Swimmy and Where the Wild Things Are. Those are those two are right at the top. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know what my top are, but Grandpa Green, man. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, again, I, I don't want to <laughs> fanboy. I, I really don't want to fanboy out, but like, come on. How could you not uh, read Grandpa Green and at the end not cry? If you don't cry, then there's something wrong in in the insides. Uh, you know what I'm saying? Uh, All right. Um, well, my, my, my wife, Molly, when I showed her that both of I, – I did It's a Book and Grandpa Green the same – week and i showed her to her and she read it's a book and she's like ah this is funny and i said yeah I'm, i don't know if i should leave that jackass line and she said, if you take out that jackass line i'm gonna divorce you i said okay we'll leave that in then i showed her grandpa green and she read it and she said what the hell were you thinking <laughs> <laughs> i said what do you mean she goes what's this I said, I don't know. It's just, I was thinking of my family and, and, uh, is that, I mean, it's a great grandson basically telling us about his great grandfather's life story through topiary because the great grandfather was a topiary gardener. And, and then that, and that, and like the, the image that breaks my heart the most in a good way is the end. And this was the spread, I think right after the, when you were explaining to the reader that the fact, the reason the grand, the great grandfather is losing his memory and uses the yeah. topiaries to sort of make these like tokens of, of his life. And so the next yeah. turn, then you're like, Oh, that's sweet. Oh, there's the great, there's the great grandfather. He's alive. Oh my God. That's so cute. <laughs> and then you turn the page and then you see like the boy is carving a topiary about, and it's his grandfather, great grandfather. And you're like, wait a second. Oh shit. He died. <laughs> and I'm just like, Oh my God. And, oh, you know, my it's, God. It, come on. No, I, I, I probably get more letters about that book than any, you know, from families and their 
Yeah, well, you'll like the the, the gift for Nana, which comes out next, because that's that was sort of a tribute to my mom who passed away a couple of years ago, and every, all the grandkids called her Nana, mm-hmm. and uh, that's that's another sort of tearjerker. All right, well, look, I'll look forward to that. So, uh, gosh, I would love to keep talking to you, but we've got to go. So. Let's remember that there are illustrators listening and other folks, but mostly illustrators who, uh, you know, trying to make uh, a go at this, trying to figure things out. What piece of advice would you like to share with them directly? Well, I understand the business is a lot different now, as we alluded to earlier when it was much more hands-on and personal and you could just get an appointment to see an art director. I'm, I understand, you know, I'm sure now it's all through sending your portfolio and all that. Um, but I think the one thing, the cliche that applies is just perseverance. You know, you just, if it's what you love, just keep doing it. I, I, when I did that Halloween ABC book, I, you know, that I wasn't commissioned for that. I just was doing a painting a night and cause that's what I love to do. And I just sort of foolishly stuck with illustration because that's what I love more than anything in the world. And, um, and if you love it that much and you're halfway decent, someone, you know, is going to take a chance on you. To learn more about Lane, visit lanesmithbooks.com. If you enjoyed our conversation, please share it with your friends, subscribe to the podcast, and provide a positive rating and review. Become a patron by visiting patreon.com slash illustration D-E-P-T. In return, you will receive our salt enamel pin, a reusable discount code for 10% off, and access to patron-only episodes we're calling Extra Credit. This podcast is produced by the Illustration Department, a global leader in online education for illustrators. Visit us at illustrationdept.com for class offerings, testimonials, the alumni showcase, the podcast show notes, our forum, the bookshop, and more. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.